0: This is the What Now Podcast.
1: You're trying to say something to comfort me, and so I would just have to look underneath the words that the intent was pure. They were really trying to do what they understood they could do. And so as I looked at it that way, I chose not to become offended. But there are little things that we say here and there that sometimes aren't... If you really stop and think for a minute about what you're saying in all eternity. I don't think that people, spirits in the spirit world, needed my husband more than his own children. That's hard for me to believe. This is the What Now podcast where we discuss cultural
0: topics related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful and honest way, in an effort to uplift, inspire, and create positive change. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with family therapist Tammy Hill about loss. Tammy was just 37 with four young children when her husband suddenly died. Tammy shares the reality of her loss and how different grief can look for family members and how to process and navigate life after a significant loss. Tammy shares advice for friends and family on what to say and do and what not to say and do to bring meaningful support and facilitate healing. Tammy also shares how to help young children, adolescents and adults manage their grief in a productive way. Tammy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We're so happy to have you. So let's just start with you telling us just a little bit about yourself. So listeners can get to know you a bit better.
1: All right. My name is Tammy Hill. I'm a marriage and family therapist, a sex therapist, and I teach at Brigham Young University classes on marriage and healthy sexuality. I also have a private practice. I am a mother. I was married to my late husband, Mark Mulford, for almost 18 years before he passed away, and we had four children together. And five years later, I remarried a widower named Jeff Hill, whose wife passed away also, and he has eight children, and so together we have 12 children. Jeff and I have been together 15 years this year, and we've had a lot of experience in blending our family and trying to succeed at so many things that we do within our own home, as well as professionally trying to bless marriages and couples. um, I'm happy. I'm an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I'm so thankful for the Savior who has been the center of my life, I think, for most of my life. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that with us.
0: So you lost your spouse when you were how old? I was 37.
1: Oh my gosh. And you had five children? We had four children. Oldest son was 15, and Mark and I went through 13 years of infertility work. And so we adopted a son that was eight years old at the time of his dad's death. And we had two little miracle babies. And my third son was two years old when my husband died. And my little daughter was four months old when he passed away. And he passed away very suddenly of a massive heart attack that was very, very unexpected.
0: That is tragic. Yeah. So how did you cope with
1: such a sudden loss? How did you get through that? Well... Just a day at a time and sometimes an hour at a time in each of those days. I can honestly tell you I don't remember a lot of the first year after he passed away. It was so sudden and so unexpected. And I know that my brain still kind of probably has holes in it because I don't retain information the way that I used to. And I feel like in some ways I've never been back to my normal how I used to be ever since that happened. I know in a lot of ways I've grown and matured in ways that I don't think I would have ever needed to grow and mature if this hadn't happened in my life. And so how did I go through it? (laughs) Just a day at a time. I can remember the night that he passed away. It was the opening ceremony of the Olympics in Salt Lake City. And He was at a basketball game. He was a basketball coach where he had his heart attack. So I met my son that was playing basketball for the team at the high school, I mean at the hospital. When we heard the news, oh my goodness, it was just so shocking. And I can remember looking at my son Jordan and saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he held my hand and he said, mom, we're just going to do this a day at a time. And he's been my right arm for a long time as we've worked together at putting together a home that was more happy after their dad died.
0: Wow. And how old was your son during that time? He was 15
1: when his dad died.
0: That's a lot of maturity for a 15-year-old to take the lead like that.
1: Yeah. He's a special. I believe all of these 12 kids that Jeff and I have are really special people. They've had to learn and grow up at young ages, and they step up, and they are amazing. I think we're the luckiest people in the world to have these beautiful children who are so brave.
0: Wow. So help us understand, what do people need to understand about the grieving process? What advice do you have for those who have lost loved ones suddenly? Sometimes people lose a new baby or spouse or a close friend or a loved one, COVID has contributed to the sudden loss for many families. I know we've seen that even in our own ward here in California. We've had a lot of people lose parents. We recently had a beautiful mother lose a baby at full term. I mean, these are sudden tough losses,
1: you know, and everyone grieves differently. Right. And I think that that's probably the first important thing to recognize is that There's not one pattern that's not one-size-fits-all. It's going to be a unique experience for each individual, and there isn't a certain timeline that we go through, and then when we hit a certain time, we're done. I know that there are some steps of grieving that Keebler-Ross has written that are beautiful, but they also, when I can remember looking at those steps, as a new widow and thinking okay I'm going to be done with this step when I go to the next and then I would be so surprised when I find myself on step five and and the next day down at step one again and it was helpful for me to learn that those aren't chronological or sequential steps it's just all a bunch of stuff that you work through and keep working through for me personally the things that I felt were most helpful were people that would be brave enough, that knew me well enough, that they would want to talk about my husband, Mark. A lot of times people don't know what to say, and I think they feel if they mention the, the spouse or the person that's passed away that it's going to bring up a lot of sadness and maybe a lot of emotions that they're not sure how to handle or manage. For me personally, when people would ask me, about how we met each other, how we fell in love and all of our story together, it was very healing. I loved being able to talk about him and remember him. I was very grateful for the men because I lost my husband and my kids no longer had an earthly father that was here. And I can tell you how much I love so many men that stepped up in big ways to be men For my children. And I'm still grateful for those men. I'm sorry, this is emotional. I might get a little teary. And that is totally understandable and appropriate. So please don't feel uncomfortable. Well, I really am grateful for those men. I remember my second son is Ryan, and he was so excited. He's finally going to Cub Scouts, and he came home with this Pinewood Derby kit. And he was so excited to build this car. And I know nothing about anything like that. And I, just tried to put on a good face for him. And then later that evening, I remember going out in my garage and just crying, thinking, I don't have any skills to do this. And I felt like it was the most unchristian activity in the church, personally, at that moment. And then I got a phone call from one of my son's good friends, dads, who said, I'd really just like to make this Pinewood Derby car with both of our boys together would you be okay with that and oh my goodness that was such a blessing and there's just countless experiences where people stepped in be there for our family in ways that mark would have been there for us and i really appreciate that i loved the fact that my family and my husband mark's family our siblings all went in together to hire I was teaching school at the time of my husband's passing, so I had a caregiver, and they hired her to come in three days a week after my husband died to let me have some time to grieve and time to do things alone. That was such a help for me personally, too. I felt like I could go to the temple every week. Sometimes I'd just go out to the cemetery and weep, fall asleep. I was really grateful to have the flexibility of having someone there that could care for my children and for my home so I could have some time to grieve without my children watching and seeing me so sad all the time. That was very, very helpful.
0: Well, I love how members stepped in and kind of saw what potential needs might be and they weren't scared to step in because sometimes people get scared or uncomfortable or they think they might, we don't want to bother them. They've gone through this traumatic event. I don't want to bring up anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or makes it worse. People don't know what to do. So sometimes they don't do anything. But I love that you're saying it's good to step in and say, hey, can I help with this or that or, you know, some things that might be more fatherly things and step in and try to be a helper and try to help heal the situation a little bit. Like the Pinewood Derby car was a great example.
1: Right. First time I went to get my hair colored and cut, after my husband died, there was someone, I still don't know who this person is, but they knew who I, where I got my hair done, and they talked to my hairdresser and said, as long as Tammy lives in our community, I'm going to pay for her hair. I mean, that's such a little thing, but it's such a significant thing. A gentleman in our neighborhood that owned a gas station said, you just come fill up whenever you need to. You've got gas at my station. So just in their own unique ways. They reached out in things that felt so encompassing. And I really felt like we were in Zion during those years. It was so sweet.
0: And all those things really add up, right? I mean, the childcare, so you have that time to shop or be alone and mourn to get your hair done and not worry about the cost, to get your car filled up and not worry about the cost because all those costs start adding up. Then some people don't have their primary caregiver, and that can be really scary and overwhelming for the financial next steps. And I just love how everyone kind of consecrated what they could to helping relieve the burden off of you. It's yes, beautiful.
1: and that's exactly what it was. It was a consecrated time. If I look back in my life at a time when I felt closest to God, it's certainly those those years after he passed away.
0: And it gives other people the opportunity to step in and serve, which feels good too. It's important. It's part of, like you were saying, this Zion feeling where everyone contributes in the way that they can to relieve the suffering of the whole.
1: Yes, that was beautifully said. I, and I agree it, that we do what you can do. I think meet the people where they're at, even just going over. And I remember one person came over and kind of just organized my kids' closet. One day and visited with me if I felt like talking while she was cleaning through the closets and things. So I just sat with her and she sat with me and we talked about little things and then we talked about bigger things. And I think, do go over, don't be afraid. I think fear, personally, I like to study the gospel a lot. And as I study the creation and how the world came together, the first emotion that we hear about is fear. And it came from the adversary. So, anytime I tell my students, I tell my clients, myself, my children, anytime it's fear that's holding you back, remember where fear came from. We don't need to be afraid to reach out. We don't need to feel like, oh, we're going to make them feel worse or we're just embarrassed. We don't know what to do. That certainly is not what Christ would do.
0: That's a good point.
1: You just do what you can, and those little things that you do, are remembered and treasured forever by the people that you're serving.
0: I like that you're focusing on not, if fear comes in, just know where that source comes from. That's a good reminder because people think, oh, I don't know what to say and I might make it worse. And what if I say the wrong thing? And people get nervous and scared about that sort of thing. But if you just come from an authentic place of love, like I'm here because I care and what can I do to help? Or stepping in and even identifying things they see that you might need help with, like
1: organizing the kids' closets and things like that. Right. I think meet them where they are. Don't be afraid. Go step forward in faith and meet them where they are. Just be compassionate and listen. I know some people will and did say things to me that I could have taken offense to that I know other people have heard. Things like, well, he's in a better place or, oh, he must have been needed so much in the pre or in the spirit world more than he's needed here. And I would look at them like, I know you don't know what it is you're saying right now. You're yeah. trying to say something to comfort me. And so I would just have to look underneath the words that the intent was pure. They were really trying to do what they understood they could do. And so as I looked at it that way, I chose not to become offended. But there are little things that we say here and there that sometimes aren't, if you really stop and think for a minute about what you're saying, in all eternity, I don't think that people, spirits in the spirit world needed my husband more than his own children. That's hard for me to believe. Yes. Are there phrases
0: or questions you would suggest using instead? What should someone say to
1: someone who suffered a loss of any kind? Well, if you have a relationship with this person, I think you can pretty much just reach out genuinely and be there for them in a real space that is safe. If you don't really know the person, I would suggest that you kind of reach out to get to know the person, to observe and see what types of things that you can do to help them or their children to relieve some of the suffering. I think what to say is, I'm here for you. I want to help, please. I can remember when I taught school and one of my colleagues came by and said to me, there will be so many people that say to you, let me know when you need something. And he said, let me know when you want something. And that was, I'll always remember that. And when I see people suffering that I know, I try to go with that phrase, I know a lot of people will tell you to call them when you're in need, but I want you to know you can call me whenever you want something. And that particular colleague was so great because I could text him and I'd say, hey, I'm feeling like a chat and a Diet Coke. And so he would swing by and get a Diet Coke and bring it by the house and we'd talk for an hour. And that was a big lift for me. So ask them maybe what it is they want. I like that distinction
0: of needing versus wanting. You might not truly need anything, but you just want a Diet Coke and you want a conversation and you want a friendship. That's beautiful. I love that. So what about some people lose someone and they don't want to talk about it and they move on quickly and emotionally kind of bury their loss while their family wants to discuss the lost parent or family member and kind of keep the memory alive. How do you deal with the differences in the timing of how family members move through their
1: grieving process? Because it is very individual. Right. And it is unique. And perhaps someone that lost someone wouldn't want to necessarily talk about that person. I know for me, it was helpful. I think we can ask, what do you feel like would be nice? I think when you're left alone with children, think of the things that you would do as a couple that you don't have a partner here to do anymore. Maybe it's invite them to a movie. Maybe it's coming over and caring for the children so this person can have a little time off. Maybe it's asking if there's any need for priesthood blessings, if it's maybe the father that's gone in the home. Or is there, I remember one family would come and get our infant little daughter, so they would take her to their home on Monday evening so that I could have a meaningful family home evening with my boys that were a little older at home and not worry about my daughter so much. And both of our families were served. This cute family decided because they were taking care of my little baby girl that they wanted to start their family, this couple. So they invited children into their lives because of that. So it was a blessing for them. And it certainly was a blessing for me to be able to have more Focus on teaching important principles and as well as mourning together with my boys and having some fun together, too. I like that. And it's tough because we have some friends, you know, I'm 50 years old. And so
0: we have some friends who have lost their mother or father due to COVID or just older age or disease or things like that. And one of the spouses has just kind of jumped up and remarried. And the kids are still grieving, and that one parent has totally moved on. And so the kids just are struggling. They don't want to accept the new partner because they almost feel like they're betraying their
1: parent by doing that. Can you speak to that at all? You bet. And I'll speak to that from both personal experience and from a therapeutic stance. Anytime you make a big decision within a 12-month time of a significant loss or change in your life, you're not really doing it with full cognitive ability. At least that's what the research shows. You should at least give 12 months of life behind you before you move forward into relocating or remarrying or doing something significantly different with your life. Because often people are looking for some way to feel comfort themselves, but comfort doesn't come from another person, really. Comfort has to come from within and from with reaching towards heaven. And it's like you're looking for someone else to comfort and provide happiness for you instead of taking the bull by the horns and realizing, I need to thrive before I can thrive in a relationship. I need my children to be thriving before we can thrive in a new family structure or system. I really encourage people to step back and thrive first. Thrive alone before you can thrive together. My remarriage was five years after my husband passed away. I remarried Jeff Hill, and his wife had been gone about a little over a year when we started dating, and it was, I think, a real a lot more difficult for his children to see him move on than it was for mine because it had been a little bit longer time for them to adjust. So I think it's really important to recognize, especially if you're a parent and you have children, that it's not just you making this decision. This is your family. These are your children that you invited into this world, that you are responsible for their care and nurturing. It's a decision that includes them as well. Yeah,
0: that's a tricky one. I know with some of my friends who have lost parents and other parent marry so fast, almost to just fill the void and trying to find happiness that way. And these adult children really struggle with it. And they really have a hard time accepting the new spouse. Yes. (laughs) They just have this
1: loyalty to that lost parent. They just can't let it go. Yes. And I think that that's to be expected. Even now, though I have I think, fairly good relationships with all 12 of our children. There's no question that our Jeff's children, especially his older children. I'm a friend to them. I'm not a mother, nor do I try to ever replace her. It's something that you just need to accept. As an adult, I think it's important to learn to hopefully help your parent that's moving forward too quickly to slow down if there's ways that you can help them slow down and maybe do some remarital counseling for people who are remarrying and they have children that they're financially beholden to or they have created assets with the spouse a spouse that is now gone that those resources need to be preserved and clearly be left for the children that were in the first marriage. A prenuptial agreement for remarriage, I think, is essential to make sure that all children are getting the estates fairly that were acquired during the life of their parents' marriage. And so that's an important facet of all of that, I think. I know that it's difficult to watch your parent move on without the parent that you know and as you recognize and saw them together for so many years i know it's hard to see that happen i think it's also important to be able to if you don't see dysfunction going on in the relationship to be able to extend an arm or hand of friendship to this person and really strive to integrate and learn what you can from them you can learn from other family systems. You can learn from other people. You can find good if you choose to look for it. So I really encourage these children that sometimes are struggling to look for what good qualities they can see. I like the point
0: that you're making about it's a choice. You can choose to look for the good and that you're not being disloyal to your parent by accepting another person in your parent's life.
1: Yeah, it's easier said than done. I know that and there are still times, Jeff and I've been married for 15 years, and it's this incredibly huge onion that we're peeling back little things from. And you think you've gone through everything and there's not anything more to learn. And then something happens and you realize, man, you haven't done this yet. And there's another level of onion that we're peeling back and learning. I've learned to come to love about it as I learned so much about myself. When I'm uncomfortable or when I'm feeling choosing to feel hurt or offended by something i really have to do my own work of where am i feeling that threat why am i feeling threatened where is that really coming from and if you can do that work independently and kind of be compassionate to yourself for being human and identifying where some of that is coming from it can help you be a softer place for other people to land I hope that made sense I don't know how to say it very well I know that Jeff's two youngest children that I was involved in raising them most of their lives and I don't feel any different for them truly I don't feel different for them whatsoever from my own children Mark and I adopted our second son like I said and I remember one morning several years ago Ryan who's adopted was sitting at the counter with Seth who is my stepson and Cameron, who's my biological son, and I was fixing waffles and I was giving them their breakfast. And Ryan stopped like mid-bite and said, hey, we're all brothers from a different mother. And I looked at them all and I realized what he's saying is true. But as far as what was going on in my own heart, there wasn't a difference for me. And I know that as you move into these roles of a step parent or a stepchild, You really can pray to have an increased portion of love for the people that are in your life now. And it will happen. It does happen.
0: That's beautifully. So how do you still remember a lost loved one once you have remarried without jeopardizing the new relationship? Because you did love that person. Yeah. And you don't want to totally forget about them and feel like you can't talk to them because you've been remarried or the kids feel like they can't talk about their mom because there's a new stepmom, but they really love their mom or their dad.
1: So how do you do that? That's a really great question. And I think emotional intelligence has to play a part in that. And as you feel so threatened by what new is happening to kind of do some suggested your own work of, why is this scary to me? In our family, we have pictures of Jeff and I, of Mark and I, and of Jeff and Juanita. We have pictures of the Mulford family. We have pictures of the Hill family. We try to integrate all of the good that came from both families as best as we can. And of course, through time, this has become easier. At first, it was a lot more difficult than it is now. Jeff and I celebrate. My anniversary with Mark. We celebrate his anniversary with Juanita and we celebrate our anniversary together. We remember birthdays by preparing favorite meals that um, deceased spouses had and we talk about them and remember them when we celebrate their birthdays. I don't think anyone feels afraid to ask questions about their parent that's no longer here in our home. I feel like it's been so important for me and for Jeff to make home safe, where as best as we can to make home safe, that I don't need to feel threatened of Juanita. He does not need to feel threatened of Mark. Those are people we love, we remember, we still honor and revere, but they're not living right here right now, and we can do all that we can to support our relationship by remembering for our children and for ourselves the past and bringing it into the present when we can, and not feeling afraid of doing that.
0: And what a healthy approach for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's fun. One of our daughters is so fun on one of our walls in the big kitchen. She has a picture of Mark and I, our engagement picture. She has a picture of Jeff and Juanita's engagement picture. And then on the other side, she has this big picture of Jeff and I with all 12 of the children and in the middle of it, she's got that lettering that says "All because four people fell in love," <laughs> and I love oh, that. <laughs> I love that. And I love it too. I look at that almost every day, and I think I'm so blessed. I would have missed out on so many relationships if Mark had remained alive. I would have missed out on knowing all of these people that I love so so dearly now. And I know that some people will get upset at that. I know students sometimes say, how can you talk like that? I feel like you don't really love Mark. And, and that's not it at all. But you have to love where you are. You have to love the present more than you love the past, because the present is the only thing you have any control over. This is all I have any type of say over what happens is right now. And I'm going to do everything I can to make right now good.
0: And that's such a healthy approach, to just living in the here and now, because that's where you're living.
1: Yeah, this is our reality now, and we could go through it sad and mourning, and it's okay to mourn. I'm not saying don't mourn and don't feel sad, but I can't stay there. We can't stay there. So for kids who really
0: have a hard time and are really grieving, how can you get children to engage in grief counseling? Because many kids are resistant to counseling, especially teenagers.
1: The parents know it's important, but the kids are really resistant. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a tough one, especially from a therapeutic stance. As a clinician, if someone doesn't want to be there, there's not going to be any productive work done. And so you can't force someone to go and have therapy. You could do family therapy. You could maybe start out if you are observing that your child is hurting, maybe together you can go and have some therapy with a counselor to understand how to grieve and then listen to one another and do what you can. as a parent, you need to do your work. And by that, I mean, you need to do your own processing and emotional work to be the parent that your children need. And in the moment, right when it's so fresh and raw, that's nearly impossible to do. That's why so many of the memories I have from that time in my life are so tender, because I wasn't functioning well. I don't even remember a lot of that time. I had these beautiful people that stepped in and were so helpful to me. But once you get yourself working and do the work you need to do to, to be in the here and now. And be able to cognitively make decisions with emotional regulation. When you're in the here and now, like that as an adult, then you're able to really be the source of strength your children need. So, just building friendships with your children without any expectations. A quick story maybe I'll share my son Ryan when I remarried. He was 12 years old when I remarried, and he had a really hard time because we went from our family. My oldest son was serving a mission for the church at the time that I remarried. And so I had the three children in my home and me with them. And we moved into a home where there were six other children. And so now my time was divided between nine children rather than three. And he felt so just hurt by that. He felt like I never had time for him anymore. He felt resentful. And he would act out often in really very, very angry ways. And I remember I would go in and I tried to talk to each of the children in the evenings before they would go to bed and see how their day was and things. And he would totally turn away from me and refuse to turn around and even engage with me. And that's not how our relationship had ever been before. So it was alarming to me. Um, Through prayer, I felt that maybe I could just kneel by his bed while he turned away and pray for and express gratitude for his life and um, pray for help to bless our relationship. And so I started doing that. Every evening, he'd turn away from me, and I'd kneel by his bed, and I'd talk to him, and he wouldn't talk back. And so then I would just say a little heartfelt prayer, and I would try to hug and kiss him and leave, and I did that day after day for several weeks. And it was about the end of the month of doing this that the next time I came in, he was face forward. And his back wasn't to me that time. His face was by my face. And as I prayed, then he was there and I could kiss his cheek and hug him. And after a few more weeks, he was interacting with me and talking to me. And within a few months, he was next to me, praying with me. So I know that it's so hard. There's so many emotions, but as a parent, you really do need to be the one that your kids know they can lean on. So I encourage you to get the work that's so necessary so that your strength can be a strength for your children who need to know they can come home and be safe.
0: What a beautiful experience for you to share Thank you for doing that and being vulnerable. And it just goes to show kind of that consistency, right? Weeks of you not giving up and showing that consistent love and care for him helped him trust the new situation.
1: You said it so much better than I did. My goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my
0: gosh. Well, I've just really appreciate you taking the time to share your perspective with us as someone who has lost someone firsthand and what the grieving process looked like for you and your family. And I think you can help a lot of people by being open and transparent and sharing your tender experiences with us to
1: help others. And is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, thank you. All i do anything as far as teaching and therapy. I want to be able to help others and I have a podcast called the Live Your Why podcast, and I like to kind of go back to what is your why. And I guess I would close off with having your listeners kind of identify what is it, what are their values that are driving their behaviors, and are their values aligning with who they really want to be? And as we become more aligned as individuals and when we choose to live what we believe, We will be able to be the strength that our families need. We'll be able to receive guidance and inspiration to bless lives around us. And so if anything I can offer is helpful to someone to help them feel more centered and grounded, then I'm happy to share. And I'm grateful so much for this opportunity for sharing a little bit of my story. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And Tammy, how can people get a hold of you if they want to do
1: a counseling session virtually? Well, I have TammyHill.com is my email. TammyHill.com is my website. Instagram is at Tammy underscore Hill underscore LMFT. Those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Terrific. Well, thank you for your
0: time, Tammy. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. Please help us create positive change by sharing this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. I invite you to follow us on Instagram at Podcast What Now for daily inspirational messages. We also invite you to leave a positive rating and review. For the review to process, you just need to download the episode and make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Scroll down the episodes until you see ratings and reviews and share your positive feedback. Positive ratings and written reviews really help us to grow. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a What Now podcast production.